Let me ask you, how do you approach God? When you are praying, how are your prayers? Do you are the kind of person who in public extend your prayers like a holy bubble gum and stretch it as much as you can so they can hear you? Or when you are by yourself, you just say a couple of words and then you go to sleep. This charming conversation between father and son really reflects us, uh, what Jesus was instructing his disciples to, and how to pray in Matthew chapter 6. It serves as a reminder that while our commit, communication with God should be characterized by reverence and humility, at the same time, we also need to value the simplicity and honesty that stem from a close relationship with him as a father. In this story, the father kindly tells his son, you don't have to say all those words, even though he was embarrassed because sometimes the little boy listened to his dad speaking that way when he's preaching or he's, I should say, when he's praying and preaching at the same time. So he said, no, just, I'm your, I'm your dad, just come to me. And this is precisely part of the point of the sermon this morning. In line with this uh, idea, John Williams, author of uh, The Pilgrim's Progress, he said this thing about prayer. He says, in prayer, it is better to have a heart without words than words without a heart. And that's true. I agree with that statement. It really underscores the importance of being sincere when we communicate with God, to be open, to tell him exactly how we feel, to be genuine in connecting with him. But at the same time, highlighting that we are speaking with the God of the universe, the creator of the universe, not necessarily a man upstairs. At we time we refer to him. This emphasis on genuine connection is crucial. When we consider the survey conducted recently by the research center, the, the Pew Research Center, it was a survey on the frequency of prayer among Christians in the U.S. And it showed that 68% of the people in, uh, surveyed pray on a daily basis, they say. It sounds encouraging. More than half of the population who were interviewed pray on a daily basis. But, however, <laughs> don't be deceived because when they ask how is exactly how these people pray, the answers vary. Some individuals say that they pray mechanically, like reciting bedtime prayers from childhood. Many of you probably remember, now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And that counts as prayer. Some others pray out of guilt. They, they don't know how to pray, they don't have a prayer life, but they need to say something because they're Christians. So they pray out of guilt. Others from this 68%, and it's a significant number from that percentage, they pray as the last resource as an emergency, as what I mentioned last time, as the spare tire of your car. You don't think about it until you need it. And that's how the prayer. 
But prayer should be different. Prayer should be more intimate because it's a conversation with God, our Father. And it shows a real bond that we have as children of God with him. But I'm convinced that all of us here believe in the power of prayer. I'm sure that you believe that prayer is powerful and is effective. But putting this into practice is a different story. If we're honest, I think we will acknowledge that we all need a little bit of help, a little bit of improvement in our prayer life. Because even though we believe that prayer is powerful and it's important to communicate with the Lord, sometimes our prayers are inconsistent rather than committed. Even though we all desire to have a close connection with God, we fail because we simply don't pray. Last week we learned that Christian prayer should be authentic, uh, distinguishing it from uh, the kind of prayer for the Pharisees that were kind of a lengthy and prideful so they can be seen by others. Also, we see the contrast of uh, repeating words with no sense, like the pagans. They were trying to catch God's attention by repeating the same words over and over. Our prayers, our Christian prayers, should be sincere, simple, authentic, so in doing, in doing that, we create a, a genuine connection with him as a prayer, as a father. So as believers, and this is the point of this sermon, as believers, we must cultivate a vibrant prayer life that reflects the right perspective of who God is, the right perspective, the right priority, he is our king. His kingdom is what we need to seek first. And lastly, the right purpose to make his will, to accomplish his will. So we need to cultivate a vibrant prayer life that reflects the right perspective, the right priority, and the right purpose to experience God's kingdom in our lives. If you read your Bibles, open it, please, in Matthew chapter 6. We're going to dive in into the Lord's Prayer today. And if you notice, in Matthew 6, beginning in verse 9, we have what is being called through all these generations as the Lord's Prayer. Because it was provided by Jesus. Remember, Jesus was praying. And in Luke, for instance, we saw that one of the disciples was contemplating the life of Christ, a life of prayer, and he was trying to make a connection between the prayer life of Jesus and the wonders that he was performing. So he came to him and says, Lord, can you teach us how to pray? Notice that he never said, Lord, teach us a prayer. Let us know what, what we need to say. No, can you teach us how to pray? So in that Sermon on the Mountain, he was giving right there at the heart of this sermon examples of authentic prayer when he mentioned that. So, in fact, in Matthew 6, we see a pattern to follow 
The Lord says, pray then like this. While in Luke 11, with his disciples who asked him to pray, that was more in a private setting with his disciples, the Lord told him, when you pray, say. So however you want it, if you are the kind of person who need to memorize this prayer, that's fine. But use it as a template and fill in everything that you need to say instead of just repeating without thinking on what you're saying. Sometimes that's how I pray. But I just insert after every verse what I mean with that. So that's important to realize the Lord's Prayer that way. And it's important to mention that Jesus never used this prayer upon himself. He was teaching his disciples. That's why we need to call the Lord's Prayer the disciples' prayer. Because he was teaching them how they can pray. But he never used it for himself. He was not asking God for forgiveness for his sins or for his deaths, right? But he was actually giving us a pattern, a model to follow. How can we address God? That's why we can call this the disciples' prayer. You will notice that in this prayer, we, we can see a division. It's divided in two parts. The first few verses, the first three um, prayers, instances here, are referring to God. And they are divided and highlighted by using the pronoun your. Your name, your kingdom, your will. So that's the first part of the prayer. And the second part of the prayer is concerned to men. Using the pronoun us. He says, give us, forgive us, lead us. Today, because we're going to Take the time to understand more about this wonderful prayer. We're going to use the first part, the one that is addressing to God's glory in the way that Jesus taught his disciples and in also taught us how can we address that. It's no accident that Jesus put it in this order. He's putting God first. He's putting God's kingdom first before we decided to ask God for our things. It's the right order. But we, as Christians, sometimes when we pray, we are out of order. We say, most precious Heavenly Father, this is what I need. This is what I need you here. Please intervene. So, but we need to remember this. It's important. But the problem is we have an eye problem. And when I say an eye problem, I'm not talking about this eye. I'm talking about this eye. Is what I need, is what I want, is what I wish I. So we have an eye problem. And God is correcting us through Jesus here this. Let me put it this way. When I was a baby, knowing that I have a son who was a baby, I probably communicated with the Lord with no words. Maybe, maybe my communication was something like this. You have babies. You probably noticed that when they, don't, they cannot articulate a word, that's the sound that comes from their mouth, right? Then as they were growing older, they were getting some type of communication when they are toddlers. They probably learned to say words like mine <laughs> or give it to me or is I need this. I mean, 
It's better than eh, but still it's not mature enough to have a communication with with our parents. You remember when you were praying that when you were talking like that? Then I remember that I became older and I would say wiser and after appreciating what my parents did for me, especially my mother, since I never met my father. He died when I was four years old. And um I remember one time telling my mom, Mom, you are an amazing woman. You raised six children just by yourself. You gave us, all of us, education. You gave us your life. You never remarried. You decided to commit yourself to us. You are amazing. You see the difference? From me to mine to you are great. That's the progress that we can see in our prayers. Sometimes we start with mine. I want this. I need this. And some of you might start saying, in your prayer life, <laughs> when you're complaining for everything. But how wonderful is when you articulate and you say, Lord, you are awesome. Lord, you are great. And I will, uh, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to give you an advice that somebody wiser than me gave me once. One of the wonderful words that I learned in the English language was this, awesome. I love it. My mentor, Pastor Chuck Chundo, constantly told us, when you use the word awesome, make sure that you only use it when you talk to God. Because only him is awesome. Everything else is nice. But only God is awesome. Remember that. So the next time that you are tend to say, awesome, stop and talk to him. Awesome. Right? Can you do that for me? Okay. Sermon is done. We got the assignment for next week. You wish. So prayer is similar. We need to be telling the Lord what we think. As we grow, we learn how to communicate, and that's why we get to this point. The Lord is teaching his disciples how you can communicate with God in a very relational way. So right here in chapter 6, in Matthew, beginning in verse 9, the Lord is giving us three things. One, the right perspective, the right um, um, I forget the second one. No, I'm just kidding. The right priority, and lastly, the right purpose. The right perspective. Let's see the first one. The right perspective is our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. When we recognize who God is, the God is Father. The God is our Father. The God is our loving Father. Our perspective is right. We need to recognize who he is before we start communicating with him. When you know that you are in a disadvantage point, because God is in heaven, he is in control of everything that happened in this earth and what happened in the universe. When you know that he can do everything, that there's nothing impossible for God, your communication with him changes. You know that he is powerful. You know that he's omniscient. You know that he can do everything. 
So you know that he's in control, so you talk to him differently. You don't refer to him as my body, my body Jesus, my body God, the man upstairs. You know that he is the Father who is in heaven, not on earth. He's not like us. We're not like him. He is unique. He's only one. But he's our father. He's not my father. He's not my God. He's our God. That's a relationship aspect. A relationship aspect. And you know, the word father in prayer was only used in the New Testament by Jesus. That was revolutionary. Because in the Old Testament... The Hebrew people were talking to God. They were not using the name because for them, the name was so holy that they couldn't pronounce. They had to use different words, Adonai, El Shaddai. It's basically, in vernacular terms, terms, he is using G dash dash D, God, good or God. But they never mentioned the word for God. It was too holy for them to mention. And then when they heard Jesus teaching his disciples, but also preaching for himself, referring to God as Father, that was crazy. No wonder they wanted to kill him. Who would this guy think he is? Well, he is the Son of God. But they didn't know that. So when we approach God with the right perspective, we realize that we are praying to the most awesome, omniscient, omnipotent, and all-known God, an amazing God. So it's important to do this. He is our Father who is in heaven. And Jesus himself is teaching his disciples and telling us, all of us, you can come to him and refer to him as your Father. Isn't that great? Emphasize the intimate relationship that we have with God as his children. Why? Because we have been adopted by him. The Lord brought us to his family when we place our faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior, as our Lord. Those who know Jesus as Savior had the privilege to address God as a father because they are only the ones who are truly children of God. Everybody in the world is creation from God, but only those who trust in Jesus are truly children of God. In John 1.12, we read that says, As many as received him to, to them, he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. The idea that God, our Father, is precious is a wonderful truth. It is seen only that the idea of born again as children of God, but it's also a reference here of being adopted by him. One of the verses that I really enjoy reading besides Ephesians 1.5 is right here in Romans 8.15. When Paul is speaking about the Father, he says, You have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. And in Galatians 4.4, 4, he is also saying that Jesus 
Christ's coming, that we might receive the adoption as sons, and here is included daughters, and because you are sons or daughters, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then as her, as her heir through God. This is the wonderful thing that we do have when we believe in Jesus Christ. It's a wonderful truth. We who have no claim, no right, no heirship, here we got those very things by a gift of God's grace through Jesus Christ. Because you and I have been adopted as children of God. This is very special to me. Many of you know that we are adoptive parents. The Lord um, so far hasn't allowed us to have biological children, but we have a wonderful child by adoption. I consider that as a, an amazing thing when I read this passage because now I get a glimpse, a different glimpse of understanding the, the magnitude of God's love for us. When a man and a wife have a baby, part of their love for the child comes because they love each other. They love each other, and the product of that love is begetting a child. It's, it's, it's something that reminds them of the love that they have for one another. A born that is a child that is born out of love. But the parents who are adoptive who have adopted a child, they choose to take that child and call him their own, even though when there is not a blood type. They made a decision. They made the arrangements. They fill out all the, you have no idea how many papers, just to be able to make that child part of your family forever. It's not yours biologically, but it became yours because of the decision and because of what you decided as an adoption. So this is amazing. This child is not your own, but it becomes your own because you choose that person. That is much less selfish love that you can imagine. And the matter of God loves you. It shows that unselfish love that he has for all of us. He willingly choose you as an adopted son and daughter and make him his own in Jesus Christ. What a great love. This illustrates the loving nature of God as our heavenly father. So God is our father through Jesus Christ, our Lord, but take note, he is our father. He is not my father only. God wants you to worship him in public and in private, but he is not your own private God. He is our God. He makes you feel special. Do you know that? I believe that I'm God's best son, and you might feel the same thing when you're, when you're on the train with God. He makes us feel special because for him we are. So another expression he is, is his name has to be hallowed. Holy. The term is so interesting. Hallowed be thy name. It's not that God will be holy because he is holy. Another way to express the same concept is may your name 
be known. May you, who you are, be known on the earth. You are holy, so the earth can know that you are holy. That you are the one that you claim to be. So God's name is God himself. He is holy, and he has to be remain as a separate thing. He is not like us, and we are not like him. It's amazing to find people praying to God and think of him as a little piece of paper, a little icon, and they put it in front of them and they pray. He cannot be contained in that small compartment because he is an awesome God. Hallowed be, hallowed be your name. That's the word hallow, means to sanctify, to make holy, because this form in now our, the English language, is, is, we need to take this in line of Jesus' prayer as a statement of fact. He's saying, Jesus Christ is saying, may your name, Father, be known on the earth as who you are. In the Old Testament, a person was thinking about the name and equivalent to the very nature of what the name represents. In our context, my name is Carlos. It doesn't have any meaning besides other Carlos figure out that the name means noble, the names mean like a royalty or whatever. But somebody decide that. But in the Hebrew culture, the name has a meaning. You can be someone who is like God and your name is Elijah, or you can be somebody who is a, a, a cheater and your name is Jacob. Uh, you see, it has a name. But God's name is holy. Actually, the Christian name, Jay Parker says, the Christian name for God is Father, which is amazing that we can address him as our Father. But we pray in his name. We need to treat God as Holy. Even though he is personal, he is still we deserve reverence from us. That takes us to the next point. Not only we have to have the right perspective about who God is, we also need to have the right priority and refer to him as who he is for us. He is our king. He is the king of the universe. He is our king. When we pray, we ought to say, we need to ask God to bring his kingdom. He says, your kingdom come. And you might say, oh, that's interesting. Your kingdom come. If you remember when we were studying Revelation, there was a wonderful anthem that the people, the angels in, in heaven were singing. And then they were expressing to him, you know, all the kingdoms of the world, Lord, are becoming your kingdom. That was the answer to this prayer, to this portion, to this specifically sentence that Jesus is teaching his disciples. It refers to something in the future, after the millennium, when the millennial kingdom comes, but it is also referring to something in the present, because God is king. He is reigning, might not be reigning in the earth that we are seeing with our own physical eyes, but he is reigning. He is sovereign, and he is in control even though for a time it's like that. And he is reigning in the heart of those who declare him their king. Who is God for you? Is he the king? Is he sitting in the throne of your heart? Or you continue occupying that chair? If that is the case, it's time for you to step down and let him rule in your life. 
What an encouraging way. God, I want to submit my life to you, to your kingdom, to your values, living the way that the kingdom is already here in my heart, reigning. So this is a great concept that we're thinking about in the now, but also in the future. And Jesus is urging us here to set aside any other competition, any other kingdoms that we're trying to rise up, because only his kingdom is the one who has to be revered. You are part of God's kingdom. And one of the ways that we can show the world that God is our Father, that His name is holy, is holy, that He is our King, is the way that we individually are living our lives. The way that we're presenting to the world who we are becoming because of what Christ did for us. His holiness, if I'm saying, Lord, may your name be known as holy as you are, the way that the world will see it is through me as well. So I had to live in concurrence with who he is as well. He asked us, be holy because your God is holy. So we need to remind ourselves that on this time, on this age, in this situation, we are the ones who are portraying God's kingdom with our example as well. Submitting our desires to his will. Submitting our vision to his vision. Why? Again, because not only he is a good father, a loving father, but he also is our perfect king who knows not only what I need, but has the power to make the world what it's supposed to be in his time, in his way. So again, prayer begins with who God is before he moves to what we need. That's the priority. Seek his kingdom first. And you will see how everything else in your life will be added to you according to his will. And look for kingdom kids. So that will give us the right purpose, to accomplish the right purpose. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's embrace God's will. You will, you will be done on earth as it's in heaven. This request assumes that God is, God's will is done in heaven. He is the ultimate, ultimate king. Everybody is submitting to him. But not in this world yet. One day, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that the Lord Jesus Christ is the king, is the Lord of lords. But for now, we are in that transition in time. For this to happen, even though he is rightfully the king, he has been showing that kingship, that kingdom here yet. But we, the church, us, we are portraying that part of the kingdom here. So this nature is, is, a, is a calling. The wisdom, the discernment that we are getting from the scripture, it had to be aligned with his desires. We are asking the Lord, Lord, exactly what is happening in heaven right now, my prayer to you is that in this earth can be happening the same. So if I want God to reign on this earth, we need to start to be subjects to that king. We need to start ourselves. I need to start in my heart. I need to submit to him. I need to start surrendering to him. I need to start to be obedient to him before I'm forcing others to become that subject to him. It has to start with each one of us. 
This means that you go on to your day saying, Lord, I want to live this day for you. May you will be done, you will be done in my marriage. May you will be done in my work, in my church. Use me to fulfill your will perfectly and immediately because I am your son, because I am your daughter, because I am your subject. You are my king. He's looking for he, what he wants. He's doing what he is. And believe me, the moment that we understand who God is, the role that he represents, who he is in our lives, is the moment that we start realizing that there are so many things that we need to do in our own lives. When Jesus, before he went to heaven, talked to his disciples and told him, I'm leaving, but you're not going to be alone. You're not going to be orphans. I'm going to give you, I'm going to send you someone who will teach you all truth. And that's exactly what happened. In the meantime, you need to make disciples. You need to teach, you need to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And you need to teach them to obey every single thing that I'm already teaching you. How do I know that I'm submitting to that kinship? When I start obeying that great commandment. How do I know that I'm submitted to that kinship? When I start also portraying the great collaboration to love one another. When I am embracing the perfect commandment to love God and love my neighbor. So to apply this in our lives, when you pray, what is your posture toward God? Demanding, Lord, I want this. Lord, I do that. Or is submissive? Do you feel that you are close? You talk to him as a father? Or you do refer to him, um, Mr. God? Whatever you are. <laughs> is God closer or God is distant for you? Do you come to him trusting him? Or do you become, become to him, come to him with suspicious? Maybe, maybe he's, he's not going to listen to me. You need to trust him. Two men are praying for rain. But only one goes out with an umbrella. Tell me who has faith when he's praying. So do you come before God with an open and submissive heart, ready to hear, ready to obey? Do you approach to him as a loving father, but also as a gracious and powerful king? I will ask you to take a moment just to close your eyes. I know that praise team will join me here on the stage. We're going to sing a song at the end, a wonderful song that will help us to reflect that. But I want you to take a moment right there where you are and reflect on these questions. Quietly searching your heart. Am I, am I having a relationship with God as my father? My loving father? Maybe, maybe you, 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 you had a, not a good relationship with your earthly father. I personally didn't have any relationship with any earthly father. I was four years old when he passed away. So I didn't know what is that connection? Sometimes I struggle to develop that connection with my own son because I don't know if I'm 
becoming a good father or not because I don't have a model to follow until, until I start thinking about the Heavenly Father. Because I'm telling you that regardless how good father you are or how good father you used to have or have, there is nothing that you can compare with the Father in Heaven that we have thanks to Jesus. So I'm asking you, how is my relationship with God as a father, as a king? Tell him. Close your eyes. Talk to him. You need to ask him, Father, forgive me because I have been treating you as a, as a distant God. But now I understand that I can come to you and have a close relationship with you. You're expecting me to call you Abba, dear Father. Jesus is teaching us that. Think about the world that you live in. Think about how they treat God and think about how you are in the middle of that world and how you can be a light. How can you light shine in the darkened world? Think about your family. Is he the one that is sitting on the throne? Is he the one that actually deserves the best sit on the table when you are together? Is he the one that is in charge of our devotions at home? Or is the football or the TV or the Aggie game? Think about your job and so on. Think about your own life. Tell him that you want to submit to his kingdom, to his power. Just remember, you need to learn the right perspective. Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. You need to think on the right priority, telling him, your kingdom come, Lord, do it soon. And you need to be able to accomplish the right purpose. Your will be done as is in heaven here on earth. Heavenly Father, how precious is your name. I'm sorry for the many times that I'm have been praying, talking to you, and I've been just having a rush prayer because we're hungry, or because I need to go to bed, or out of guilt, or because somebody's asking me to pray in our Bible study, and I'm not thinking about that I'm speaking with the God of the universe, the God who makes us that I don't deserve to be not even standing before you, Lord. The only way that I can present to you is to prostrate myself to the ground thinking that I'm nothing. Yes, to be able to communicate with you, Father, who make us, who made this world, who made this universe. Who am I, Father, to even attempt to direct myself to you? But it's because what Jesus did, what he showed us, what he teaches, has been teaching us 
that we can have access to you, Father, that we can call you that way, that wonderful word, that amazing word, that awesome word, because you are that for us. Those of us who were somehow orphans on this world, you became our father to those who are fatherless. Oh, Lord, thank you. Thank you for loving us that much. Not only you are our father, but you are also the king, the royalty, the one who has the power. That is a great disadvantage of us who are here on earth and you who are right there, Father, with everything has been formed by the power of your voice. Sometimes we might be excited when we speak to our personality, either a politician or a singer or a royalty, and we think that that's the best thing that can happen to us. And every day we get the chance to address to you, Father, to communicate with you who is actually the one awesome God and King. Forgive me, Father, for sometimes not thinking that way. But thank you, Father, for your son who is showing us the way, who is teaching this to his disciples and teaching all of us as his followers that we can come with confidence to the throne of grace and direct our prayers to you and communicate this way. Because you are our father. Because you need to be our king. And we submit to you, Father. And with the love that Jesus demonstrated on the cross, Father, that love compels us to be able to put aside our own kingdoms and to approach to others and ask for forgiveness and forgive. Because that's the best way that we reflect the love that you have for us, the grace that you bestow upon us. Because it's by grace, because we didn't deserve it. We couldn't earn it. So, Father, here we are. As broken as we might be, as sinners as we are, as needed as we are, Father, you are the only one who can fulfill, who can put together what has been broken, what sin has been married. And Father, we submit to you, to your will. May your will be done as it is in heaven, here on earth, forever and ever. And everybody says, Amen.